Welcome to the Crypto Trader Podcast with your host, Jacob Canfield. Welcome to the Crypto Trader Podcast. My first guest on my first episode is Murad Muhammadov, uh, who is a Princeton alumnus who was exposed to Bitcoin in China during the bull run in 2013-2014 and is a very well-known cryptocurrency analyst. Uh, most well-known for your episode with Anthony Pompliano, probably most likely, uh, where they did the ultimate Bitcoin argument. Uh, he combines a combination of fundamental analysis with technical analysis in his approach and is the co-founder of Adaptive Capital, a new hedge fund that focuses mostly with on-chain analytics, which we will get into later on in the episode. Uh, welcome to the podcast, man. Hey, Jacob. Thank you so much for having me. It's a huge pleasure to be here. Uh, so last time we talked uh, was on my YouTube channel and it got uh, close to 20,000 views. People really, really enjoyed it. And uh, most of the podcasts I've saw, seen you on, we mo mostly focused on fundamentals, uh, on-chain analytics, data analytics, um, kind of the reason for Bitcoin, the, you know, the history, the past of money. In this podcast, I want to focus a little bit more on your trading uh, I know that you worked at Goldman Sachs for a while uh, as an analyst. Is that correct? Yep, that's right. Do you want to tell a little bit of, of your history at Goldman Sachs, kind of what you did there and, and how you got started in trading just in general? Yeah, so actually, even before Goldman Sachs, um, I did a bunch of internships at commodities trading firms uh, in Singapore, in Russia, in Europe, um, essentially focused on trading metals and oil and various oil products, natural gas, things like that, both physical as well as sort of uh, the, the derivatives um, on various related instruments. I always was interested in, in, in trading, was always interested in finance, uh, minored in finance at Princeton as well, um, took a couple of grad level courses there at the finance school. Um, it was it was always uh, it was always very exciting to sort of um, delve into that world and um, I e even during my time um, at Goldman, which was during the summer of 2016, um, I already realized that I wanted in particular to uh, sort of do something related to cryptocurrencies. Um, I was, um, some friends suggested that I uh, start looking at Ethereum in, in the spring of 2016. Um, and uh, sort of the entire industry was already heating up at the time. But um, I think that I always received the advice that it's much better to be, to be doing something in a growing industry, even though it's still small but it has sort of large shoes that it can potentially fill rather than, rather than sort of proceed in an industry which is already sort of at its peak or fully mature, right? And I think um, this newly emerging world of finance and cryptocurrencies and various blockchain related technologies has just, is just been in 2016 and I would argue still is a, uh, a rocket ship which is, I would argue just getting off the ground. Um, and just because there's so much more growth here, I think is just so much more exciting to be here, to trade here, to sort of analyze these new instruments, operate in this space, et cetera. And so I kind of 
over the past two, two and a half years, been making a switch to this particular industry. And I haven't regretted it whatsoever. Yeah. You know, you make a really interesting point. And um, there's a really good book called Market Wizards, a classic book on, you know, some of the best traders in the world. And a lot of them, they got their start as pit traders on commodities, you know, trading corn, soybeans, pork bellies, uh, et cetera. And what they said, you know, and, and some of even the best traders, they were tape readers where they would, you know, they would read the tape as it was coming in, like Rockefeller and some of these guys that were trading back in the day. And even Richard Dennis, who was a turtle trader, he ended up losing 50%, um, a very public event. Uh, they lost 50% of the hedge fund that they were managing. And what's really, really interesting is a lot of these guys, they said that, that they don't they don't think that their systems would work in today's world because uh, the technological advances with high frequency trading algorithms, the way that um, trend trading used to work doesn't work now because you have a lot more fake outs and breakouts. And that was one of the things that I liked about cryptocurrency was it's, it's a nascent market that allows us to grow with it and learn the ins and outs and basically outpace anybody else coming in the market because it's a 24-hour market that allows us to tr get 10 times more experience than you would trying to trade uh, you know, the stock market, which is nine to five, which is only open five days a week. So that's a really good point. Uh, so do you remember your your first trade you know, ever? Like, I mean, just is it still burned in your memory? Uh, it must have been either uh, long uh, oil or long gold, uh, one, one or the other, like in junior high or something. Well, so it was like a safe, a safe trade. Do you remember if you won or lost, or how that impacted you at all? Yeah, I think I, or or it could have been silver as well. I remember trading a lot of like uh, precious metal futures, uh, but um, and like some contracts for difference as well, things like that. But I remember. I made like 500 bucks in silver and then like as many of us have proceeded to quickly losing it in the, in the next couple of days. Yeah, I uh, I took an options course when I was like 19. I think I spent like two grand on it. And my first trade, I like doubled my account and then I blew my account within like two weeks after that just because super reckless, no risk management or anything like that. So, yeah. so how do you look, what do you think about why do you like cryptocurrency markets more than traditional markets besides the so fact that they're new? I, yeah, I, I wanted to build on, on your point that you were just talking about. I think because these markets are so immature and inefficient <laughs> and because in the grand scheme of things, there still isn't too much institutional involvement and still not a lot of um, like specific dedicated technology and, and algorithms that are dedicated to this particular space combined with like its illiquidity uh, overall, I would say um, some of the strategies that don't work in uh, traditional markets anymore uh, can still work in crypto. Um, and I think um, because the past crypto cycles and in my personal opinion, the next coming cycle as well, I think uh, even though the institutional involvement is going to be gradually growing, uh, the retail component is still going to dominate, I think, for the time being, uh, as it has. Of course, it's going to be less and less. But if we sort of isolate the next cycle, which I think is going to be between 2019 to 2022, 2023, I think it, it will still be retail dominated. And because of this fact, 
the emotions of the market are more pronounced. And I think that when you look at um, various uh, like technical analysis techniques and momentum systems, trend following systems, et cetera, I think in the grand scheme of things, um, they are attempting to take advantage of certain um, emotional sort of distortions and inefficiencies. And in a market which is both illiquid and retail dominated, um, I think sort of these um, various patterns and various systems can be more easily taken advantage of than if it would be, say, a mature uh, equity market, which is like two thirds of which is, is traded by machines or, or high frequency trading systems these days. But, uh, um, and, and I would say that like, because of this, um, I think a lot of technical analysis you can say is uh, taking, adv taking advantage of, or, of either overexcitement or excessive fear of people. And uh, in the crypto, I think those emotions are particularly pronounced. Now, additionally, you combine those factors with the fact that there's no set valuation methodologies for cryptocurrencies like there are for bonds and stocks and other uh, asset classes. Uh, and all of these forces combine to make this market um, particularly volatile, particularly immature, particularly uh, reflexive and reactive. And this sort of, in my opinion, leads to a lot of sort of opportunities um, to put on some successful trades if you sort of have a good both fundamental and uh, like a situational grip on the market and, and can take advantage of the, these sort of waves. I would agree 1 million percent. I was just going to follow up with what you already followed up with. I was going to say that really there's no fundamental bearing. There's a few, you know, the FAT protocol thesis by Bernisky. There's, you know, there, there's a few uh, fundamental ideologies or, or thesis, how you can value these things, token economics, uh, token velocity, all these different things. But uh, because of the lack of fundamentals, I feel like technical analysis is much more reliable in the long run. I've never seen a market that respects and responds to Fibonacci retracements and moving averages and you know just these simple strategies so effectively. I mean, um, especially Bitcoin. I, I don't know if you've seen some of my analysis on the Fibonacci uh, workups on, on on Bitcoin, but it's just remarkable how well it responds to those. And in in my mind, Fibonacci is just a re reactive. Um, a reactive indicator to emotion. Where where are people going to panic sell to? Where are people going to FOMO buy into? Um, and so it works more and more um, based on a reactive market based on emotion. So I 100% I agree with you with your point of view there. So and uh, I, I believe you posted a you posted a relatively famous uh, post on Trading View where you noted how the 0 0.618 level on Fibonacci retracements is like particularly occurs extremely often in Bitcoin. And that was before this run up, which I believe once again did the 0 0.618, right? To the money. Yeah, to the money. And yeah. <laughs> that was actually forecasted several uh, like, uh, yeah, about over a month ago to hit this level. And what's funny is it was just it, it was just troll comment after troll comment saying we were going to sub 3K, but it's like, history doesn't repeat, but it rhymes. And I literally went back all the way to 2013 and it was like a 90% plus chance that we were going to retrace to the 61.8% level. And it's never broken and closed below the 200 day moving average on the weekly. So it's like, 
why would it now? You know, like I, I, I tend to, you know, trading for me is just all about finding an edge that's greater than 50%. And if it's never done something in the history of its cycle in over a decade, I tend to lean on the fact that that most likely won't occur right now, at least on the first retest. We may test it again in the future, barring fundamentals, which we can get into on the road. But so what type of trader would you classify yourself as? I like to use as many tools in my disposal as possible. And in my experience, especially in cryptocurrencies, what I like to do and what I recommend sort of uh, my friends do and other people do is I put on trades when my fundamental outlook, my technical outlook, my like or insights from order book analysis and my insights from what we call on-chain analytics, when they all align or at least three, three out of four of these things align, ideally as many of these sort of different approaches, the more of them align, the more confident I am in my trade. And um, I like I like to, I, I particularly feel confident when um, sort of all these things are in alignment, both from like the fundamental and the on-chain and the technical point of view. And in my experience, um, you can sort of post some very, very positive results. Now, you might not always um, like long the exact bottoms or short the exact tops, but when you do enter a trade, uh, the directionality is more than 60, 65% likely to be in your favor. I, yeah, so your trade style is you just want as many chips stacked in your favor. You want the odds as greatest, you know, as, as high as over 50% as you can make them. Um, and I, I would say that's my approach as well. Um, I have a little bit more of a like a complex approach of buying spot and hedging. Do you do a lot of that? Those type of strategies? I I do hedge my positions occasionally, but mostly I just um, like put on uh, direct trade, like direct speculative derivatives, and just sort of um, w without without hedging them that much. Gotcha. So. Where do you get most of your edge in the market? Is it is it fundamentals? Is it technicals? Is it the on-chain analytics? Where would you say most of the weight of your um, trading research time goes into? Is it charting? Is it you know studying the fundamentals, looking at you know when's the next having, looking at data before Bitcoin movements? Is it you know looking at different cat catalysts like news events and stuff like that? So very very roughly. If we break down the timeframes between like super high time frame, then uh, like high time frame, medium time frame, and low time frame, I would say that I definitely, um, I, 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 first of all, I start with the fundamentals, and that's my like super, super long term approach. And that sort of inspires like where I go forward from there. Um, then me and me and some of my partners, uh, David Priel, Willie Wu in particular, we sort of study what's going on on chain to um, to sort of motivate our high high time frame bias or our high time frame view. And um, now on chain analytics, it's not so it's not as useful for like intraday trading or scalping um, or even day trading, but it's more useful for positional 
uh, trading or even slightly more medium term swing trading. And um, we it's I think it's a very understudied sort of and a very emerging field. In my experience, there's only like seven or eight people who are studying this like very actively. Um, and some some examples are people from CoinMetrics, like Nick Carter, Antoine de Calvez, uh, ourselves, uh, some people in um, from sort of specialized companies like Boltzmann, uh, and uh, and a couple of others are sort of studying similar things as well. But in general, um, once I have I form a view on on-chain analytics, which I think is very cool because we've never had a financial asset before, which is both a and like which is both an asset and a payment network at the same time. Right. And so I think while not perfect, there are certain connections there. Um, and there are many, many different things that the chain could tell you. Now, once again, not about the immediate move, but about where we are in the cycle. Like it's particularly good to sort of show you where we are relative to past Bitcoin cycles, relative to like multi-month sort of view, right? And then once I have that sort of, I have a view there, I kind of look at, um, I kind of, I kind of like to study the order books, um, sort of what's going on there. Uh, things like, uh, bid ask sums, things like, uh, like open interest, uh, where, what, what the limit orders are looking at, like things like that. Um, some, use some tools like tensor charts or Sierra charts there. And then like, more for sort of the shorter term or for sort of closer towards the entry. I like to sort of end it up with more sort of traditional technical analysis to sort of see uh, what that is telling us. And ideally, as I've already said, when at least three or four of these sort of different disciplines, when they align, then I feel particularly comfortable to uh, like to trade in, in that particular direction. So that's a lot of information to take in. I'm I'm familiar with it. I've been in the space for a long time and I've, you know, I've been following all your guys' work and studying it as well. As a new trader, like let's say some of my listeners or some of the people watching on YouTube, as a new trader starting out, where would you recommend or or, or direct them to start out? Because a lot of them are starting out with what it sounds like on the very tail end of your analysis, which is traditional technical analysis. They're starting out with the the price action trading, the moving averages, the, the Fibonacci levels. Whereas you're start, you know, you're way up here and then you work all the way down into that smaller, you know, that smaller discipline. Where would you where would you direct them to just to kind of get access to those resources? I know you named Willie Wu. He's got um, Woonomics. Is that Woonomics.com? It's Wubull.com. Yeah. And hopefully he'll be a he'll be a guest later on in the show so he can kind of go into some of his analytical techniques, but so where would you direct newer traders that are listening or watching? So just as an absolute introduction, uh, check out the coin metrics community data and check out the Wubble, sorry, Willie Wu's website as well, uh, just to sort of see the rough, roughly what we are talking about. And then I would recommend reading some of the latest articles uh, posted on uh, my partner's David Quirrell's blog. He himself has invented several on-chain indicators and has written, I believe, three or four articles sort of expanding a bit more on that. Um, Thomas Bloomer, a, 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 an OG in the space, has also uh, written s s uh, a lot about on-chain analytics. 
Uh, I believe Tour de Meester has written a, a little bit about that as well. Uh, Nick Carter uh, and his partners have, have some interesting blogs about the topic on, on their uh, CoinMetrics blog. But these are sort of the four or five resources where I would advise people to start. And uh, once you sort of delve into that, uh, anybody can always reach out to me and I can provide sort of additional deeper intermediate resources as well. Absolutely. So is there anybody that you look up to in the, in the markets that, that's, that inspires you from a technical analysis point of view, from a fundamental analysis point of view? I know your partner, you mentioned David Puyel, you said, you know, he's very brilliant at on-chain analytics besides uh, those immediate guys. I know in, a, in previous interviews, you mentioned Pierre Rochard, um, Nick Zabo, some of these guys, but as far as like trading and, and that stuff, I know this is kind of a newer, like a, a more, uh, bigger passion that you've gotten into recently is the trading side, just because of your your fund that you just recently opened up. But is there anybody that you follow specifically for that? Um, I like uh, I like Saka trades. I like uh, Mr. Anderson through Crypto Twenty Eight. Yeah, he's good. I like I like um, Crypto Cred is pretty good. Like from an educational perspective, in particular, um, has some interesting guides. Um, like those are the main ones I say, I would say, um, yeah, like those are, those are kind of like the, those are kind of some of my favorites. Um, as far as, as far as the technical analysis side, cause that's probably where, where a lot of the listeners are forming their, um, perspective or their bias. Is there a specific style or method that you employ in your trading? Is it more, uh, classical, like patterns, candlestick reading? Is it more price action based? Is it more indicator based and kind of algorithm and uh, back testing strategies? Um, is, is there a specific approach that you take when it comes to technical analysis in and of itself? So um, I guess if I had to pick, um, like I, I consider myself a team minimalist. I think the people who have like 20 different indicators on their charts, <laughs> like, it just becomes confusing, you know what I mean? Um, I like to stick with like volume, volume profile, um, RSI, OBV, and, and some classical uh, charting patterns without sort of overcomplicating things because um, sometimes you can just like try to use too much and just give too many different signals, Keep which it becomes simple. useless. Yeah, exactly. Um, okay, so how do you find balance when it comes to cryptocurrency trading, I, I think this is a question that I'm gonna ask a lot of the people on my show because it's a 24 seven market. I've been trading it three years now. And I will tell you that my schedule is not great just because, you know, depending on the, the context of the market, I'll be trying to wake up for the Asia open or the Asia close or the European, open. depending on like where the money flow or the volume or which exchange is doing what, or, you know, so how do you find balance between real life, normal life, hobbies, uh, hanging out with friends, girlfriend, whatever, and, and, and trading? So I would say that in my mind, trading and investing in general is all about studying and waiting. It's very important not to, not to overtrade. A lot of people kind of get bored uh, and just want to be in the trade at all times. And I think that's a horrible approach. Um, it's important. I think a lot of people make that mistake early on. Do not treat trading as like entertainment like find entertainment somewhere else because um if you want entertainment just like go watch a movie or something uh, because it's not like it's not supposed to be like a, a thrilling adventure like every single day you know what i mean right i think um that's called gambling exactly like let the opportunity come to you 
um, the opportunity will come, especially in crypto, like they come around quite a lot and don't expect it to happen so quickly be patient. Um, don't overtrade. Like that's very important. Instead, if you're not sure, if, if you have like no strong view, just stay out of it. Uh, wait until um, there is what you think is a, uh, a, a, a bigger sort of divergence or a bigger distortion in the market, which you have more confidence in trading rather than like always trying to be right because like you're not going to be. Uh, just pick your spots. Yeah. I would say uh, I always, I always, whenever I talk about trading, I always talk about the three keys to trading. And the first one is manage your risk at all times. Every trader that I've ever read about, um, and I've studied all the greats, they've all blown their account at one time or another. And it's always because they did not manage their risk. Either they doubled down on a trade or they bet too heavy or they went all in or their position size was too big. Um, and so managing risk is like key and fundamental to me. So always manage your risk. And then finding high quality trade setups that are stacked in your favor is number two. And then number three is maintaining discipline for one and two. And, and so I feel like you're right on the money with patience. Who said it? Warren Buffett said something like the market is a vehicle for transferring wealth from the impatient to the patient. Um, and I feel like that's even more so true with crypto because a lot of retail that comes in, they have this get rich quick mentality. It, like you were talking about before, that retail uh, greed, fear, love, FOMO type mentality. And so if you are listening, practice patience. That's uh, I would say that is a absolute key um, in, in trading. So a little bit more on strategy because we, you know, we are talking about trading. Uh, I've seen you on several podcasts and several interviews talk about altcoins. And we had a little conversation about altcoins yesterday. Um, and what we had said and what we had talked about, just to kind of do a quick TLDR summary, was that the only way to make more money with Bitcoin is by trading Bitcoin on margin as opposed to altcoins, because altcoins, just based on market cap dynamics, just based on uh, the, the way that they move in relationship to Bitcoin, they can outpace Bitcoin astronomically if you are trading the right altcoin uh, in the right context in the right time. Obviously, when you buy into a bull market run on Bitcoin, then the, the pairings will, will get skewed. But what are your thoughts on that now? And, and how has that kind of changed or evolved since you've been in the space? I think eventually Bitcoin is going to take 80% um, or more of 75 or 80% or more of the entire market capitalization of all cryptocurrencies. But I think for the time being, um, and a lot of people will dislike me for saying this, but I think for the time being, to be completely honest, the number one use case of cryptocurrencies and blockchain is speculation. It's, it's gambling, right? One of the biggest use cases of the Bitcoin blockchain is simply transferring in and out from exchanges, uh, settling various derivative trades, going in and out of BitMEX, things like that, right? And uh, whether we like it or not, it, it might just be a fundamental piece of reality that when you bootstrap a new money, that uh, the speculative phase is just simply how it emerges. That's how it arises. Some people would argue that it's even um, that it's even beneficial because even though it's used for trading, like you're still using the chain, and even though it's used for for trading, you're still using Bitcoin as the unit of account or as the like the settlement medium, whatever. And so whether you hate it or like it, gambling is a use case. 
gambling, investing, trading, speculating, whatever you call it. Technically, they're all different things. They're all the same thing, but just to a different extent. Just right? different, different, different contexts to different people too, right? Right, right. And essentially, I think for a variety of reasons, if, 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 if the bottom is already in, which I increasingly think is the case, um, and side note, I was, I, I was wrong about, I think I was wrong about thinking that 3150 was not the bottom. As of late, I increasingly think that it is um, and that we're not going below 3K. But back to the topic at hand, I think what, what you already see, like the outperformance in several altcoins that you see over Bitcoin uh, in the last two or three months, I think that is a small glimpse of what is about to come in the next three or four years. That's like a mini cycle within a bigger cycle. And we already saw like Litecoin up 200%, Bitcoin Cash up 300%. As much as I hate these altcoins, and as much as you, like anybody might hate these altcoins as a technology or as a project, whether we like it or not, and maybe it won't be these particular ones over a multi-year period, but I think I'm pretty convinced that a number of them will outperform Bitcoin. And um, so I think having some exposure is um, is prudent. Now, if when I'm recommending it to friends um, that don't know anything about the space, I just tell them just buy Bitcoin and that's it, right? Yeah. Uh, but if you are somebody who is like in front of the computer for half the day and actually studying the space all the time, actively managing trades, actively managing positions, um, during certain points for sure, altcoins will outperform. Now, uh, because I think there will be slightly bigger institutional involvement in the space. And as I like to say, the average or the median IQ of the space is going to be improving cycle to cycle. I think something that you saw in December, 2017, where you have a hundred random shit coins going hundred X in two weeks, that's probably not happening again anymore. But I think there will probably be a dozen altcoins that outperform Bitcoin on a multi-year basis, uh, at least from like the bottom to the top, if you measure it like fully, right? And I think, um, you should definitely have a very significant chunk of your portfolio in Bitcoin. But if you want sort of a higher risk, higher reward potential situation, uh, and, if, and especially if you're an active trader, um, I, I, my view is that altcoin, a couple of altcoins will outperform Bitcoin. That's just my view. Yeah. Yeah. And there, there are some altcoins that have had some massive partnerships announced recently, like Engine Coin with the Samsung phone. Um, you know, there's the Bat Token, who was created by the uh, Mozilla Firefox founder. I mean, there's, there's some, there's some definite fundamentals. But my approach and what I've always told people is that if it's an ERC twenty token or a Nep five token on Neo or a, you know, uh, any one of these. Uh, I, essentially what I call tokens on top of another blockchain that's representative of a cryptocurrency. Treat them as Chuck E. Cheese tokens that you exchange to get more Bitcoin. I mean, that's that's essentially, you don't want to grow attachments to these projects. You don't want to fall in love with the ideologies because as we've seen, I mean, I think we just saw there was a cryptocurrency project that, we, that raised $21 million, had a team of five, and blew through their capital in less than a year. And it's like, this is this is who's running these projects with no, you know, so it's important to never fall in love with these projects because you really don't know what's going on behind the scenes. Um, but like he said, there are some that could easily outpace based on um, 
fundamentals, catalysts, and you know what's what's happening in the markets. One thing that I've noticed, I've been through um, three hype cycles now with altcoins. I've I don't know if it's really even retail that pushes it, but it feels like that people that have significant amount of Bitcoin accumulate these coins at bare bottom levels during their accumulation phase and literally just use them as, as ATMs to just create FOMO and then withdraw more Bitcoin. And they do this repeatedly over and over so that, you know, the, it's kind of whales splashing around. They did it on Poloniex, then they did it on Bittrex, and now they're doing it on Binance. Um, and I know some of these market makers out of China, I don't know if you've, you were around some of these market makers when you were in China, but um, have you seen any of that? Uh, are, are you familiar with that kind of process, what they're doing, how these whales move? Um, to be completely honest, I was never like a huge altcoin trader. I was always trading like Bitcoin or Ethereum personally. Um, and when I was in China, some of my friends were doing like OTC and P2P type trading, but mostly of Bitcoin itself rather than altcoins. And um, I don't have a firsthand experience, but I definitely know very well what you are describing here. Yeah, and that's and that's where and that's where it's hard for retail to even trade that market just because the liquidity is low, and it's much harder to manage your risk when you're trying to manage your risk against two asset classes. You're trying to manage your risk because if you can hold a you can hold an altcoin position with a stop loss in Bitcoin, but if Bitcoin drops ten percent and it maintains its value in relation to your altcoin, well, you're still down ten percent. But if your altcoin goes down ten percent and Bitcoin goes down ten percent, well, now you're down twenty percent. And so it's much harder to manage your risk when you trade altcoins as opposed to a USD um, or a euro type pairing. So as far as Bitcoin, where do you feel like we're at in the cycle and where do you put the value? And I hate to do that to you, but where would you say as a predictive analytical um, mind that you have, where would you say we would be in, let's say, five years? So it's 2019. So let's just say 2025. Where do you think Bitcoin will be? Um, in the marketplace, um, do you think we'll have an ETF by then? You know, where where do you put the value at at that point? So I don't know about 2025, but I think that so as much as I hate to admit it, I think the bull cycle has already begun. I think we are in the early <laughs> we're in early, <laughs> we're in the early stages of the next bull bull cycle, right? And um, I don't know about 2025, but I think we will top once again in either 2022 or 2023, um, depending on how fast things un unfold. And I think I'm looking at somewhere between 70 and 120,000. Roughly, I would say 100,000. Um, I think as crazy as this sounds, I think it's possible that we see 100K uh, as the next blow off top. 100K? Yeah. So I did a, I did a Fibonacci extension analysis. Uh, I'll send it over to you. Um, I created these Fibonacci levels called Canfield Fibonacci extensions. It's basically, I'm sure you're familiar with like 1.618, 2.618, 4.23. Well, there's actually a way to calculate extensions beyond that, uh, like the 6.54, 11.9, uh, 21, and then all the way up to 108 uh, Fibonacci extensions. And when you apply them to long-term investing, it, it actually called the top on Amazon, uh, Apple, uh, the S&P 500. Very, very interesting, but it 
it's respected the levels all the way up to even 108 Fibonacci extensions from the first wave of money. So very, very interesting, but I had 52,000. That's that's my metric for the next bull cycle. Um, in, in, I would say intermediate top, because we don't know, you know if that's just like the semi-corrective pullback level, but Yep. Do you think that uh, I'm, I'm going to get into your hedge fund that we that we talked about? But before I get into that, do you think that uh, the next having and if you guys aren't familiar with the having is, is it's basically where Bitcoin's supply curve um, drops off about 50 percent. Do you think the next having will have as much of an economic shock as the last few have had in that we're below four percent and we're going to drop to the two percent level? Uh, I don't. I think actually every every next halving has a smaller effect than the previous one, because essentially going from like eight percent to four percent is a bigger change than going from like four percent to two percent. You know what I mean? Yeah. And on a mining level, <clears throat> so that's one. Two, um, on on like miners have to sell a certain amount, um, well, a relatively large amount. Some people throw out numbers like seventy to eighty percent of the of the of the coins they mine. To cover their operational expenses, right? And um, essentially, the idea goes that after each halving, there's less mining sell pressure, right? Because they get less points. Um, but I think so. Once again, like that effect is less each time. So early on, miners selling was like a big chunk of the new supply, or or it was a big chunk of sort of how the price discovery happened. But I think right now, what the hodlers and what the investors do is a much, much bigger sort of proportion than the miners, you know, uh, with um, like a, such a big proportion of coins already having been mined and not that many coins, uh, like 3 million coins left to be mined going forward. I think um, there is like right now, the hodlers, the investors, the traders, they are the ones who sort of quote unquote decide on the price rather than, um, rather than miners. And third of all, I'm not sure whether havings have like as strong of an, of an effect as people think in general. If you kind of do a very basic statistical analysis, you will see that um, like the three months before and three months after the havings, nothing happens that is particularly crazy relative to like overall various three months periods in Bitcoin's history. And right. what I think is, what I think instead is going on is that technically, Havings and the 21 million supply are the same thing. Uh, you know what I mean? Functionally right. speaking. Yeah. And what I what I actually think is going on is that among among people in the industry who are already hold Bitcoin, who trade Bitcoin, who are already in the space, um, who already understand Bitcoin, I think like the havings, at least in their minds, are already priced in. And the people for whom havings aren't priced in yet are people mostly who don't know Bitcoin at all. You know what right. I mean? Right. And so you can say that, so my, my view is that Bitcoin is priced in among the market participants, but it's not priced in among the wider world. And so, but it's not because of having, well, it's not because of that local, like June 2022 date per se, but it's because, because of the havings in general, or because of havings philosophically. We've never had an asset that have havings in the first place. And because 97% of the world doesn't know about this, now that's where it's not priced in. You know what I mean? Absolutely. So inside in, inside the industry, it's priced in, but in the grand scheme of things, it's not priced in. So that's kind of like my that's kind of like my dichotomy. You know your I mean? your approach to your approach to it. Yeah. So 
let's talk about adapt adaptive capital. You guys are, um, I'm going to bring up your website here just so people can see. So adaptivecapital.co, if you want to learn more about it, it's an actively managed cryptocurrency head fund, uh, with a deep focus on on-chain analytics. We believe that cryptocurrencies, crypto assets, and distributed ledger technologies at large will disrupt some of the biggest markets in the world from money itself to payments, financing exchange, and even other non-financial markets. These markets are still extremely early, immature, and particularly inefficient from a fundamental and technical perspective. We believe that the use of on-chain analytics and disciplined data scientists, data science can enhance crypto asset portfolio management significantly. Let, so let's talk about where you're at with that and um, if people want to learn more about your adaptive capital fund. Yeah, so we're going to be launching this coming June. Close to, close to official launch, so I'm very excited about that. Me and my partner, David Puyel, and a couple of uh, others, we have been developing some sort of proprietary on-chain analytics related uh, trading systems, you can say. And we have been trading our own uh, portfolios uh, quite successfully over the past year or so. And sort of based off of the success of, of, of our own trading, we sort of decided to um, scale that up a little bit and um, launch a fund sort of based on some of our insights. But essentially, I would say that 60% of the fund is going to be dedicated to more long-term investing or rather like more longer-term positional trading. Position, yeah. And then and then 30 to 40% would be dedicated more sort of on uh, much more active management based on some of the signals we gained from um, on-chain analytics and other tools. But I think that there's a lot of sort of um, there's a lot of there's a lot of opportunities in the space, and I think that this next cycle, 2019 to 2023, will be um, one of the biggest sort of remaining jumps in the growth of the space, and it can definitely be taken advantage of very, very well, in my opinion. Do you have anybody on your team that has managed a hedge fund before, or is this kind of a new venture for all of you guys? I have never managed a fund, but I have um, managed, I've worked at a number of, of prominent financial institutions and I've managed sort of family and friends, mm, relatively significant sums of money. Yeah. Uh, but I've never, I've never done it on like a, a on, on like a larger scale. Um, but to be completely frank, I don't sort of doubt our abilities in that sense. You guys have, um, you guys have uh, one of the, yeah. the best teams I've seen com composed. I mean, Willie Wu, David Puel. You and is Mazir your brother, Mazir? Mazir is my brother. Yes. Yeah. Um, I mean, I'm following him on Twitter, and he's a he's a brilliant writer and a, and a great philosopher yeah. of money and just kind of the the studier of the markets in general. So I have no doubt you guys are going to be incredibly successful. Is there? Thank you. Are you looking to raise capital now for listeners that are that are looking at you know seeking a fund in the cryptocurrency space? Yeah, so unfortunately, um, it's open only to high net worth individuals or rather accredited investors in America in particular. Uh, now, the laws are a little bit um, more permissive in uh, a number of other countries in the world, but largely we're still targeting uh, high net worth individuals, family offices, funds of funds, places like this. Um, we're very close to closing the fund um, in the sort of final stages of fundraising. But if you are a high net worth individual and are interested in investing, then uh, please uh, email info at adaptivecapital.com. And I'll put that contact info up here. 
All right, man. Well, I think that uh, the listeners have gotten an incredible amount of information and uh, I look forward to having you on later as a guest uh, on the YouTube channel as well as the podcast. And I believe your partner, David, will be uh, coming on on a later show to talk about on-chain analytics and specific um, you know, measurements and ratios that he's created on that. Uh, anything you want to close with uh, with our listeners? Uh, no, just wanted to thank you for having me. Uh, always a pleasure to sort of discuss the markets with you. And I'm looking forward to sort of visiting you again in the future. All right. Thanks, man. Thanks for listening, guys. And if you're not subscribed yet to the Crypto Trader Podcast, make sure you hit subscribe. And I will see you guys later.
Bye.